This is from John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Good evening and welcome to Grace. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. You can go ahead and open up to John chapter 1 that Christopher just read for us. That's where we'll be tonight. Uh, we want to not only get to know you tonight, we want to help you get connected to our larger church family. So if there's any way we can do that, we would love to help you get connected to a community group uh, or a service opportunity here or ways to get involved in our community or just to meet someone in town if you haven't met anyone yet. So please uh, meet someone tonight, fill out a connection card, drop it in the, block the black box in the back, and we will get in touch with you and help you get connected here at Grace. What comes into your, your mind when you hear the name Jesus? When I say the word Jesus, when you hear the word Jesus in our culture, when you read the word Jesus in the Bible, when someone else says the name of Jesus, when you see a picture of Jesus, what pops into your mind? What do you picture? What thoughts, emotions, feelings, maybe even objections do you have when you hear the name Jesus? Often, our picture of Jesus does not come from who he actually is or who he claims to be in the Bible, the Word of God, the book that Christians believe in and have staked their lives on. Our view of Jesus comes from many other things than who he claims to be himself or who we read him to be when we open up the scriptures that tell us firsthand eyewitness testimony of what happened. There are many things that have impacted our view of Jesus. I submit to you tonight that the most important thing that you will ever decide in your life is what you think about Jesus. What pops into your mind when you think about Jesus is the most important decision, the most important thought concept that you will ever have. The most important decision that you will ever make is deciding about Jesus. My hope and my prayer tonight is that you would see him for who he really is. 
My hope is to point you to some biblical truth. My hope is to point out some things that happened in this narrative that we just read, a firsthand account of what happened in the life of Jesus and a couple of his disciples. But ultimately, I pray that God does a work here tonight that is bigger and more wise than me. Would you pray with me as we get started? Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Thank you that we don't have to take anyone else's word for it who Jesus is, but we can go to scripture and we can see firsthand account of who he was. Father, we pray that you would speak tonight. Spirit, we pray that you would do your work. Jesus, we want to see you for who you really are. I pray that you would do more than I could do with my human humble voice here tonight. And I pray that you would speak to each one in a very personal way. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, many things have shaped our understanding of who Jesus is and who Jesus is in our society. There are social things that give us a picture, the social kind of norms of the day or the social or pop culture understanding of who Jesus is. There are internal understandings, there are internal motivations, there are internal experiences inside of us that change or jade or hide the way that we truly see Jesus. And then because of these things, we come to intellectual decisions about what we think of Jesus. Some of these are well-reasoned and well-thought-out, and others are just at an instinctual level. These things, though, become barriers to us seeing Jesus for who he really is. Let me illustrate what I mean. When we hear the name Jesus, a lot of things pop into our mind, but they aren't a clear picture of who he is because often we haven't had a true experience with who he really is. It's like saying that you know what Portland is like because you've watched the show Portlandia. Portlandia may be a satire and maybe a picture of a microcosm of a part of what Portland is like, but unless you've been there like I have, you don't know what it's really like. Or it is me thinking that I know what France is like because I have watched a show that talks about France. It's like you thinking you know what Kansas City is like because you last watched the last season of Fargo as opposed to me who grew up there. See, we get our ideas about Jesus from these second-hand, filtered through society, filtered through our own internal workings. Then we make an intellectual decision about who Jesus is. I submit to you this is not a great way to live our lives. In this narrative that we read in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, we get a firsthand account, an encounter with Jesus. And specifically as Jesus comes face to face with a skeptic. There are a lot of reasons that people choose not to believe in Jesus, but one of them is skepticism. What they have heard about him, they are skeptical of. And whether you're talking about now, 2,000 years later, or 2,000 years ago in the Bible, Jesus encounters skeptics, those that have questions about his claims or about who he is. Tonight, we get a picture of how Jesus answers and approaches the skeptic. Open up, if you haven't already, to John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1. Please open your Bible app or your physical copy. There will be a few of the verses that I want to take a look at up on the screen as well. But I want you to see firsthand what God's Word says about Jesus. What do we see as Jesus comes face to face with a skeptic? And what can we learn from that tonight? Whether we're skeptical or not. First, Jesus sees and knows this man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel will become one of Jesus' disciples, one of the 12 that follow him most closely. But he doesn't start out that way. There are some who Jesus calls that say, when he says, follow me, they say, okay, I'm going to leave everything behind and I'm going to follow you. But not so with Nathaniel. We'll even see a close friend that grew up in the same town as him instantly believe in this passage. But Nathaniel has questions. But Jesus sees and knows Nathaniel. Look with me at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Jesus doesn't go anywhere haphazardly. Jesus doesn't get lost. Jesus doesn't take detours that he previously had not thought about. Jesus decides where he is going to go. And Jesus goes to Galilee and first says to Philip, follow me, and Philip follows right away. Jesus decides to have this interaction with Nathanael. And I believe that Jesus has decided to be here tonight, to have something to say to you and me. Look with me at verse 48 for more evidence that Jesus sees and not only sees but knows Nathanael. In verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. There's a couple different things that Jesus is saying here. First, he's saying because Jesus is fully man but also fully God, he supernaturally saw Philip before he got to where Philip was. He saw Philip where he was supernaturally. But the other thing that he is saying by what we read in the rest of the passage is that Jesus already knows Nathaniel. As people come into the doors of Grace Downtown, if I don't know them, one of the first things I ask is their name, and they're like, it's on my name tag, dummy. But the second thing that I ask them is, where are you from? And the reason that I ask that is because, raise your hand if you were born in Iowa City. Those two are related, and we have one more. Two families that were born here in Iowa City. So one of the first questions I ask is, where are you from? Jesus doesn't have to ask Nathaniel his name or where he's from or where he was standing or what kind of person that he is. As we'll see in the passage, Jesus sees and knows Nathaniel. The second thing I'd like us to notice is Philip's testimony. The first person that Jesus talks to when he decides to go to Galilee is Philip. He says, follow me. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Two things, one I've already mentioned, Philip is not the same as Nathanael. He doesn't have questions, he just follows. 
The second thing we notice is what Philip says about Jesus. What is Philip's testimony to Nathanael about who Jesus is? He says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Philip is saying two seemingly contradictory things about this person, Jesus. The first thing that he is saying is, this is the Messiah, the king of all kings, the one who would sit on a throne in the line of David, but he would sit on that throne forever. This is the one whom Moses in the law and the prophet said would come. This is the fulfillment of every promise from the Old Testament. This is the one whom we as Jews are waiting for to come. This is God. But then there's a second claim that he is making about him when he says that he is Jesus from Nazareth and he has an earthly father named Joseph. Philip at the same time is saying he is God, but we know him. He's a man. We know his dad. We know where he came from. He was born in the same region as we were, but in a different town. Philip is saying to Nathaniel, this is the Messiah. This is the one who the prophets foretold. This is the one who is fully man and fully God. This is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Philip had been taught this or revealed it by Jesus, and now he's telling Nathaniel, this is the Messiah. And Nathaniel didn't need all that backstory that I just gave us. Nathaniel, as a Jew, knows what Philip means when he says the Son of God has come. But the surprising part is that he's Joseph's son from Nazareth. So we need to take note of what Philip is saying, the claim that Philip is making about Jesus. So let's hear Nathaniel's response. What is Nathaniel's response to Philip's claim? We see in verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He has this response for a couple of different reasons. Well, first off, it shows his skepticism. He doesn't immediately believe. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But it says two other things about him. If we know his dad and we know where he was born, he can't be the Messiah. Because the Jews were awaiting a Messiah that is described in Revelation that comes with a sword strapped on his side and a tattoo down his thigh that says, King of kings, Lord of lords, and comes and his robe is bloody from defeating all of his enemies. That's what they were expecting. So Jesus, who we know his dad, born in Nazareth, that can't be. That can't be. This cannot be be the Messiah. His second objection is, okay, even if I can get most of the way there with you, Philip, I can't accept that the Messiah was born in Nazareth. Philip and Peter and Andrew were from the region of Galilee, but they were from an area, Bethsaida, near Capernaum, that was a port city on the sea. Lots of things going on. Look this up in your Bible map online, or if you got one of those old Grandma Bibles with the map in the back. Look on there. See, 
Bethsaida and Capernaum, they're in this very strategic port city. And look at Nazareth, just right out there in the middle of nowhere. The middle of nowhere. They're not on a river. They're not on a sea. They're not by a port. They're not by an ocean. They're not by anything. They're from the sticks. They're from nowhere. They're from small town, rural community. Nothing good comes from there. Nathaniel's got objections. He's skeptical of what Philip is saying. How does Jesus reply to Nathaniel? How does Jesus reply to the skeptic? Look with me at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Behold, an Israelite. The first thing is that Jesus honors Philip by saying, Behold. Behold is usually a term that others use when Jesus is coming. When John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, the angel comes and says, behold, Mary, you will give birth to a son. Here, Jesus gives Nathanael the honor by telling everyone, behold, meaning stop and take notice. And then what does he say of Nathanael? That he is a true Israelite. What he means is an Israelite that tells the truth. Jesus knows the character of Nathanael. It sounds supernatural and amazing that Jesus supernaturally saw Nathanael under the fig tree when possibly he couldn't see him with his physical eye. I find it even more compelling and incredible that he knows the kind of character that Nathanael has. He knows that he is a man who there is no guile, an earnest man, a man who tells the truth. Jesus knows who Nathanael is, and Jesus knows what Nathanael needs to hear. Jesus knew that he could say, come follow me, and Philip would go. Jesus knew that Nathanael wanted to have a conversation first. Jesus was not scared of Nathanael's skepticism. He drew in, and he had a conversation. What comes next in our scripture? Nathaniel's reply. Nathaniel's reply in verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel now is proclaiming and claiming something similar to what Philip did about who Jesus is. The first thing that he says is rabbi, which means teacher. Jewish men would align themselves with a particular rabbi. But it's not like we think of when we decide to read one author over the winter. I have an author that I'm going to read everything he wrote this winter. Uh, in 2020, during COVID, I said, I'm going to watch all the more Martin Scorsese films that I haven't seen before. That was a trip during 2020. Nathaniel is not saying, oh, Jesus, I want to hear more. No, when a Jewish man chose a rabbi, he laid down his previous life in order to follow that rabbi. 
He moved away from his family to follow that rabbi. He gave up other vocations in order to follow that rabbi. Nathaniel goes from skepticism that the Son of God can come to Nazareth by call, to calling him rabbi. An incredible work has happened in Nathaniel, and now he calls Jesus rabbi. He says he is the Son of God, and he says he is the King of Israel. Isaiah 9 says that one day a child will be born that will sit on David's throne, but it will be an eternal throne that can never be taken away from him, speaking of the Son of God. In Luke chapter 1, the announcement of Jesus being born, we are told that he is the one that fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 9. Here, Nathanael is proclaiming who Jesus is. Nathanael is blown away that despite his skepticism, Jesus saw him, knew him, honored him, engaged with him, and knew who he was. What's Jesus say to this? Verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus' reply is basically, that was easy. Knowing you, answering your questions, knowing that you were a true Israelite, knowing that you were a skeptic, knowing how to answer your questions, that was easy. Just wait. Come and follow me and you will see greater things than these. And Nathaniel does follow Jesus and Nathaniel does see greater things than these. Nathaniel sees Jesus heal. Nathaniel sees Jesus raise the dead. Nathaniel sees Jesus cast out demons from those that have been afflicted. We see people turning away from their old life in order to follow Jesus. Day after day, Nathaniel and the other disciples and those that followed Jesus continued to see even greater and greater things that Jesus did, even to the point of the resurrection where there were Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and in fact thought he was a blasphemer. So he was given over to the Roman officials and the Jewish leaders and the Roman officials put Jesus on a cross for blasphemy. There was a sign put above him that mocked him and mocked his claims to be the Son of God. He died a sinner's death, though he was perfect, though he never sinned, though he always loved others the way that he was supposed to love others. He always did the will of the Father. He always loved perfectly. He always obeyed where you and I have failed, yet he died a sinner's death. But three days later, he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave, showing that he is God and he holds the power of life and death in his hands. His resurrection shows that he is the God-man, Jesus. 
that he is man and died a physical death in our place, but he is also God who can raise himself from the dead. And then Jesus says something really crazy to his followers. He says, now I am going to go and sit on a throne in heaven and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to live inside of you and you're going to see and do even greater things than these. Over the course of a number of weeks, months, or perhaps a year or two, Nathaniel goes from a skeptic to doing greater things than he had even seen Jesus do. How? How can someone go from such skepticism to such power? How can someone go from such skepticism to such belief? It's only in the power of Jesus. One last verse in verse 51. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I'm not going to take the time to go into this, but this is Old Testament in, uh, imagery from Genesis 28, Jacob's Ladder, where God shows the way to God has been opened up for man. Man tried to build his way up to God, but God says, I am going to provide a way. I am going to provide a way for humans to be united with their God. And Jesus knows that he is going to go to the cross, send his spirit, and open up that way for us to have a relationship with God. See, we can't get our way to God. We cannot get all our skepticism answered and accounted for. We cannot get all of our questions answered. We cannot live a holy life, do enough religious things, overcome all of our unbelief to get to God. He has to come down to us. Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, I'm the God who came down to you. Jesus answers Nathaniel's skepticism and yours and mine by saying, I came for you. We have all kinds of skepticism when it comes to who Jesus is or the promises of God. Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, lays out these three different areas of skepticism, social, internal, intellectual. There were things in Nathaniel socially, internally, intellectually that kept him from believing the claims of Jesus. And the same is true for you and me. First, we live in a society that does not have a proper view of Jesus if they have a view of Jesus at all. And in fact, for decades and generations, America has been called a Christian nation and more than 50% of people in America have gone to church, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those people were following Jesus. And even if you just look at church attendance, for the first time in America, church attendance is less than 50% of our society. When it comes to truly following Jesus, when it truly comes to answering his call to come follow me, I would argue that the percentage is even less than that. So when we look around in our society, when we look at pop culture, when we look at social media, even when we read quote-unquote Christian books or listen to Christian music or go to a Jesus-loving church, we get ideas about Jesus 
that do not jive with who he says he is. So society is a barrier. Even sometimes the church is a barrier. Preachers can be a barrier to us seeing Jesus for who he truly, truly is. Then we have internal barriers to coming to Jesus. Our internal barriers could present skepticism for everything that Jesus claims he is, the promises of God, and everything that I'm saying tonight. We hear about him being our loving, heavenly father, but that word father is more than triggering because of the father we have in this life or the father we never knew. We have things that have happened to us. We have things that we have done. We have things that we have, have been done to us in the name of Christianity. We have things, baggage that we bring along that have come from church and church folks. Maybe even God himself has disappointed us. So we have internal skepticism. Internal biases that keep us from believing claims of Jesus. These societal understandings of Jesus, these internal motivations, then present us with an intellectual argument against Jesus. As I said earlier, sometimes it's well thought out and well chronicled, or we've logically thought out how we feel about Jesus, but a lot of times it's just a gut reaction to the name of Jesus. Probably the one you had earlier when I ask you what pops into your mind when you hear the name Jesus. That doesn't come out of nowhere. That comes based on what you've heard in our society or in churches that didn't teach who Jesus really is or because of the things that have happened to you or the things that you have done. They all present barriers to us knowing who Jesus really is. We need something to overcome these barriers if we are to believe. The idea of blind faith seems like a joke to us. It seems intellectually dishonest. We need something to overcome these barriers in order for us to have faith. We need something to overcome these barriers to help our skeptical mind. We need something to overcome these barriers so we see Jesus for who he truly is. But Jesus offers something better. He doesn't just offer us a philosophical framework or the answers to all of our questions. He offers us himself. You don't need something or a philosophical argument to overcome your skepticism, you need to meet Jesus for who he truly is. Jesus knows Philip and says when he says come, Philip will go. Jesus sees Nathaniel and knows that he's going to have some questions. Jesus sees Thomas and knows he's going to have to put his fingers in the hole in his side. And Jesus sees you and knows how you will come to him. He knows what questions you have. He knows what past you have experienced. He knows what has been done to you. He knows your church history. He knows your background. He knows your triggers, your trauma, your sin, everything about you. And he says, come, follow me. My prayer, my hope for you tonight is that you would come face to face with who Jesus really is is 
see, we have seen here tonight that Jesus always draws the skeptic in close because he sees and he knows us. He knows exactly the skepticism or the questions that we have about him. He knows exactly what we have experienced. Jesus draws close and shows us that he has been changing lives for 2,000 years. The testimony of Philip leads to Nathaniel considering these claims of Jesus. Consider the last 2,000 years of human history where Jesus has been changing lives. Jesus draws close to the skeptic because he sees and knows us and knows exactly how to answer our questions and show us his love. Jesus can overcome the skepticism because nothing is impossible for him. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I will raise those who are mine up on the last day, just as I will raise myself up out of the grave. Jesus has the keys to life and death. Jesus has the power to overcome sin. Jesus has the power to overcome our enemy. Jesus has the power to overcome our own skepticism. Don't believe in your own ability to change yourself from not being skeptical. Believe in his ability to overcome your skepticism. Jesus draws near the skeptic by saying, I have come to have a relationship with you. Jesus is personal, and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. Jesus could have very easily said to Nathaniel, nope, it's my way or the highway. I asked Philip, and he said he's going to come. And I said, come, and you got questions, and I don't have time for questions. Sometimes I just don't have time for my kids' questions. It's just get in the van. Get in the van. Get in the van. Well, I'll answer your questions on the way to the thing. We're late. Get in the van. Jesus could have been, get in the van. Nathaniel, get in the van. We got things to do. But he says, behold, an Israelite who tells the truth. Jesus is a personal God. He's unlike any other religious figure or concept of God that man has ever dreamed up on their own. Every other God, every other religious system says, God's up here and you're down here and here's the steps to get to God. And God says, I'm coming to you. I'm going to meet you right where you're at. Jesus wants to meet you exactly where you are tonight. There's a skepticism, there's a question, there's a concern in the back of your mind that says, not tonight. Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with me tonight. He saw what I did. If he really saw what I did this afternoon, then he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Or he knows what I'm going to do when I go home. He's not going to want to have anything to do with me. Or he knows what's happened to me, or he knows what I did in the past, or he knows what kind of relationship I'm in, or he knows the underhanded things that I'm doing. I'm not even living up to my own standards. How am I supposed to live up to God's standards? And Jesus says, behold, a true Israelite. He draws near to Nathaniel. 
Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 1, God is referred to with the name Elohim. In Genesis 2, 4, there's a change. Where God is now, he instructs man to call him Yahweh Elohim. Which means the Lord, your God. The Lord, the word Yahweh, the word Lord means personal God. The God who created everything wants a personal relationship with you. Getting all the answers to your skepticism may not come. Belief in who Jesus is and what he has done for you is what you need. Then he may or may not answer every question you have. Last week we talked about Mark 9, where the man who's in desperate need of the healing power of Jesus for his son that's possessed by a demon. This man comes and he says, I believe Jesus, but help my unbelief. Make that your prayer tonight. If you believe any part of what I'm saying, if there's any kind of spark within you, any kind of splinter in the back of your mind that says, maybe this is true. Even if it sounds too good to be true, cry out to Jesus tonight. Cry out to the one that made you and say, I believe you, but help my unbelief. That's a prayer he always answers. He will help you in your unbelief. Do you already believe? Then God's word has a challenge for us tonight. That we would be his good news people. Philip presents for us the greatest evangelistic message ever given. Remember Jonah and all those bad evangelism sermons that we talked about this summer? This is where it's at. Philip shows us what's up. This is the news we have to offer. This is the evangelistic sermon that is given. This is the good news that we proclaim to the world that is in desperate need of good news. We say, come and see. Come and see. Come and see the one that's changed my life. Come and see the one that's died for my sins. Come and see the one who knows everything about me yet died in my place. Come and see the one that although I disappoint him and have no belief in him, every day he continues to come through. Come and see the one that overcame my unbelief. Come and see the one who redeemed me. Come and see the one that gave me spiritual life. Come and see the one that is day by day changing me and giving me a new call on my life. This is the message of good news. The message is come and see. You will never argue someone into heaven. God may use your arguments and we should be wise and we should know scripture and we should know how people believe and the belief structures that people have just like Jesus had with Nathaniel. But you're not going to argue someone into heaven. It's a miracle that has to take place that only God can do.
It's a miracle that you're saved. It's a miracle that you believe in Jesus. It's a miracle that I'm here speaking these words tonight. The message that we have for the world is the same message of the woman at the well. The same message of Peter, the same message of Paul, the same message of all the disciples and everyone that has lived from the time of Jesus. Our message is come and see. And people all over the world are answering that call and coming and seeing what Jesus has done. Will we live a life? Will we be a people that says, come and see? The biggest obstacle to us sharing our faith is often our own unbelief that God could use someone like us. But our message is come and see. The good news is come and see. The good news is not in what we have done or what we can do or in our philosophical arguments or in our religious righteousness, but it's come and see what Christ has done and can do. Would you pray with me? At the end of our service tonight, we're going to have another opportunity for you to pray with someone, if you'd like to pray with someone. Maybe you want to ask for help. Maybe you want to cry out with someone else, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Maybe you have someone that you know you need to go to and say, come and see. But you just haven't been bold enough. You haven't believed enough. We're going to have some folks up here at the front, front of the stage that would love to intercede with you, intercede for you, pray with you. You're going to have that opportunity at the end of the night. God, thank you for speaking. God, we pray that you'd continue to speak. Father, we say we believe in you, but please help us in our unbelief. There are so many things inside of us. There are so many things in our society. There are so many things that keep us from believing in you for who you truly are. God, I pray that as we open your word, we would see you, Jesus, for who you really are. I pray that we would see the love of the heavenly Father. God, I pray that you would use us to proclaim the message of come and see. Not come and see my church, come and see my righteousness, come and see my great life, but come and see my Savior. God, use us to be a part of what you're doing in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.